0: So this is like core to who I am. There are exactly four main data points that I look into for sales. That is the number of opportunities you can create, the close rate of those opportunities, the average sales price of those opportunities, ASP, average contract value, call it whatever you want, but how much money am I getting per contract? And then the sales cycle, the length of the sale.
1: Welcome. Revenue Insights. Every week we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals and retain more customers. Hello there, you are listening to Revenue Insights. Today, I'm joined by Sean Fraser, VP of Revenue Operations at Dental Intelligence. Sean has practiced RevOps for close to a decade at Bamboo HR, Mazenda, and today with Dental Intelligence. Sean, pleasure. Yeah,
0: thank you. Happy to be here.
1: So for folks that maybe haven't come across you before, maybe they're looking at getting some dental work done, I'd love to hear it. Actually, before we get into dental intelligence, we'd love to hear your story, how you've got to where you are today. Give a bit more context around my little intro there.
0: Yeah. My first interview question I ask anybody when I'm interviewing them is, how did you accidentally end up in operations? Because at least anybody who's been in it for the last eight to 10 years, we all kind of accidentally did. Nowadays, you can get into it on purpose. But I started out, my early career was in real estate. During college, I sold houses and I got my accounting degree while I was doing that and it was going really well. So I just kept selling houses and then had a small team and it it was growing really well, but I found that it just wasn't the lifestyle I wanted and I found myself extremely unhappy. So I made a big, big choice to slash my income by more than half and I didn't really know what to do. So I went into sales at Qualtrics and that's a Utah based company out here, massive company now. And I was in sales there for a little bit and got to know the owner of a smaller company called Mozenda and then switched fairly quickly over there and it was 30 people. So everybody did everything. And at that point, I didn't even know what I was doing of that. It was called RevOps or anything. He hired me to come set up a system that we can make a sales team. And so that included marketing and sales and data and it included pricing and pretty much everything. So I got my experience there. And then I was doing a lot of different things. And that's really where I tell people, if you want to get into operations, either at your company or at a smaller company, you have to be the person that just wears all the hats and does everything because it'll give you the experience to go to the next place. And then you can kind of get more and more specialized. But to start, you just have to do it. You have to grind it out and do everything. So that was what I did there. It was a great opportunity. The company was great, but I was looking for something a little bit bigger, more structured. Working for a tiny company has its hardships. So, I chose Bamboo HR the next company specifically because they had just a great reputation for a great place to work and I wanted somewhere that I could like really integrate myself in. So, I reached out to them directly. I did a lot of stuff to get this job. I recorded videos for the hiring manager. I put him on a drip campaign, the whole thing. And I got the job there. I was running marketing automation for a bit, but only for a few months where then the VP of operations, my mentor, Trevor Rawls, he's really the one that gave me the shot in the big leagues. And I started sales operations there. There was nothing before that as far as just specifically sales ops. So it was a very small crew of us. We ran sales ops and CS operations. I did that for a while. And that just grew in a bunch of different avenues. And that's the beauty of growing up with a company that's fast growing. Every few months, some, new responsibility, some new job, some new something came up and I learned a ton. And that's another thing. Another career tip of mine is like, say yes to it. Say yes to all these projects. Just get in there and get dirty and make it happen. Because I said yes to everything, which tough at times when your hands are a lot of different places, but I learned a ton. And then I was there for, I don't know, over four years. And then an opportunity here at Dental Intelligence came up. And I took it because it was right in the wheelhouse of smaller than Bamboo HR, growing, fast moving, approval processes were fast, everything. I was looking for something a little faster and I got into more of a leader. I was a leader in the leadership position of Bamboo, got into more of a leadership position at dental intelligence and sense of Grown, And it's been a great place to really dig in and learn a ton more about leading the department and being the person that's in charge of the whole RevOps and not having anybody to rely on and you are really relying on yourself and your teams relying on you. So it's been a great experience. There's a lot that I feel like I can dig into there. (laughs) So perhaps
1: just for my context and the folks listening, could you just give a sense of what the, I guess what your remit has been going into dental intelligence? So that's obviously kind of a sense of like what the team looks like, but also like what you've been brought in to do beyond the obvious?
0: It's awesome when you start at a company that is growing super fast. When I joined, we were recently funded. And so you have a new private equity firm and all the expectations that come with that. I came in and operations was split up into two separate teams. And so there was no centralized ops. We joined those two teams together under one umbrella. And really the first six months to nine months, was unwinding and figuring out all of the sources of data that we have and the processes and procedures and everything that goes in from marketing lead inception, the pass off into SDRs to AEs to customer success, renewals, churn, the entire system. And it is not a quick six-week project. That is a six months, nine months because you think you have it and then you uncover something that's some legacy thing over here that's been running and you're There's so much to do. So it was to start getting all of that in line, getting the data there, and then that's when you get to start doing some cool stuff. That's when you got to start building all the cool dashboards and all the data-driven things. Not to say we didn't before, but it was very young. It was very early stages. We were still building up the muscle to say, okay, is this new process repeatable, scalable? Can we report on it? All of those things, we had to unwind. I've gone through iterations. The team structure has changed quite a bit. Currently, we have a powerhouse team, smaller, just like everybody else in the world of SaaS right now. Things are, we live in a world of constraints. So you can't just hire a massive team of Salesforce admins. So I have a CS operations girl who's amazing that she runs that side, the post-sale. I have a, basically she's Salesforce admin, but she does everything pre-sale. And then we have a more technical Salesforce resource. And then we have some contract workers that we have helping us with Salesforce. So that's my direct team. And then I work with pretty much every team in the company. We have kind of people that help us out and kind of join different projects and things like that. So it's a great, great team we have. It's small and mighty, but we're getting a ton done. And it's been super fun to see the evolution of the company going from this small company that has two ops departments that were misaligned now that we have a very aligned system across the board throughout the whole company.
1: Love it. I feel like we're having the conversation at the right time because you've gone through a lot of the house cleaning, a lot of literally getting the house in order, right? And I'm going to get on to what you plan to do with that. But I would be interested to know, because we kind of touched a little bit pre-show, but those data sources, the data points that are just absolutely critical From your perspective, which of those data sources that you've got hold of are crucial to your sales process?
0: So this is like core to who I am. There are exactly four main data points that I look into for sales. That is the number of opportunities you can create, the close rate of those opportunities, the average sales price of those opportunities, ASP average contract value, call it whatever you want, but how much money am I getting per contract? And then the sales cycle, the length of the sale, there is no other data that will impact your MRR or your ARR or any revenue, there is nothing else that will impact it. Those are the four. Anything that you're doing, anything, training will impact one of those four things to increase. And if you see a decrease in your revenue, one of those four things is struggling. And it's the sales velocity formula. I didn't make it up. This is something, but I think people over complicate things, especially in the sales side, where you're looking at a lot of different things and trying to dig in way deep. You start there and then you can dig in underneath that and find out what are the drivers? What are the problems that are beneath that? So if you have an average sales price issue, that's really easy to see. You see, does, okay, I created enough opportunities. They closed at about the right rate oh, wow, average sales price is low. Well, there it is. And then you can dig into that. Was it a product mix issue? Did we screw up on discounting? Like, what was it? And then you can dig in and actually see that problem to fix it. I always recommend going from that lens instead of trying to go down and see, like, try to figure out all the different issues that could have been. Just look at those big four and then drill down from there and have a nice exercise of like, okay, what's going on in that? And then how can we fix it? What are the levers that we can pull to fix it? So, for sales, absolutely those four. For other departments, it's not as simple. It can be as a lot more complicated, but for sales, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that.
1: Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go to market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we released the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash signup. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. I love the simplicity of the approach and I'm curious perhaps and appreciate you've kind of very much gone through the process of getting everything in order. So maybe it might be a little early for this, but when you've taken that approach of looking at it through the lens of maybe a win rate or the length of the sales cycle, is there perhaps one example that stands out to you of where you've really dug deep and then really narrowed down on, right, now I can see where we are, where there's like friction here or where we are leaking potential opportunities.
0: Yeah. The one that comes to mind is actually on an individual level for a sales rep. I built this funnel report that shows every single rep. You can select their name and it will just show how many opportunities did they create. Well, it shows a lot more. It shows how many phone calls did they make? How many times did they get a hold of people? So the activities that drive the opportunities. So how many demos did they hold? Where did those demos come from? Was it an SDR set? Was it a self set, a partner referral? And then how many of those turned into opportunities? And then how many of those closed and close rate, we could get into it for days. I could get on my soapbox about how it's a lagging indicator and it's all sorts of stuff and the windows of time, all that. But very simply, I created this many in this time frame and I closed this many. It is a lagging indicator, but it does normalize. If you have a shorter sales cycle, you can kind of tell because it's going to be within a few percentages pretty close. But this rep, he was telling his manager like, I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm closing. I feel like I'm doing a good job, but I maybe I need to make more calls. And he didn't. So we just graphed out his average sales price and it was like high, high, high. And then the month that he thought everything was going wrong, it just dropped. And then I just pointed out, dude, look at this. Your average sales price is half of what it was. And he looked at it and thought, wow, that's all it is. That's all it was. Because he was pitching one product instead of a bundle because he was super comfortable with it. So he felt like he was moving but like, it didn't click with him that it was that because he did sell some bundles. So in his mind, we have a smaller average sales price. So the average rep is selling quite a few deals per month. So it's easy to kind of get lost in the like, what's going on? It must be my activities. It must be my contact rate. It was just that. The very next month, his average sales price went up. He crushed his quota. And so it was just an individual level where it was just one thing. There's other examples as on a company level where we were struggling with, We're trying to figure out what was going on. We noticed that the number of opportunities created was low, but all the channels seemed to be doing well. The SDRs were setting what they needed to. We looked and our hold rate was super low that month. We weren't getting the people to show up and that affects your number of opportunities created. So I knew that it was a number of opportunities created issue. And then you just go up funnel from there. Does that mean that it an SDR thing? is it a self-set thing? Prospecting? Is it an activity thing? Contact rate? So those are all things that drive to total number of opportunities created. 99% of the time, I can tell you that is not as simple as that. It's going to be a combination of dozens of things. It's like, well, your average sales price was slightly lower. Your conversion rate was slightly lower, but your number of opportunities was slightly higher, but that netted out to be a lower MRR. So I gave you those two examples because those were like the only two silver bullets that I can think of. Everything else, every time that it's like, why did we do so well? Why did we do so poorly? It's going to be a combination of those. And then you can drive into what was the biggest, most egregious one. And usually it's close rate because that'll affect things so much. But then, okay, how can we affect that moving forward? And then you pick the thing that's going to have the biggest impact and then correct for it.
1: Yeah. And I love that. Now, you talked about, we've already kind of touched on getting your house in order and having the data in place. Now that you've got that, what are you
0: most excited to do now that you're at this stage? Oh, man, there's so many things. My most exciting project. Oh, man, I have like two. So I'll share two. The first one's actually on the customer success side. Being in RevOps, customer success, retention is the biggest driver to your revenue. If you can increase retention, you are doing much better as a company. Got to keep that MRR inside your company and not let it go out. My CFO always says like we're driving a truck and we add a bunch to the truck, but the tailgate's open and it's just falling out the back the whole time. So if you can close that tailgate, so the first one is partnering with the customer success department. This is fairly new as far as we're kind of restructuring a few things to give more resources to them. And I'm really excited to dig in and say, what's your objective? The objective is we want a better churn, right? We want less people churning. What are the levers we're going to choose to go after that? And typically, if you do kind of like an OKR type thing, you have your objective, And then your key results or what levers can I pull? And then what I'm really excited is that we're partnering with the CSMs and the other groups. And we're saying, what activities can you do? Because there's a finite number of hours. There's a finite number of things. You're going to be working with customers on these troubleshooting things on X amount of time. Okay, so what amount of time and what things can you do? You can make phone calls. You can do stuff like this. We can do podcasts. We can try to get to a mass audience, maybe our customers in a group. One-on-one customers, replying to emails faster, implementing AI, which I'm sure we'll get into. There's certain things that you can implement to do that. Okay, now what are these levers that we need to pull? Well, we need to identify certain triggers in the activities of the person that maybe says I might churn. Well, now I have activities over here, things I can do, levers over here of what I want to do. And you create a plan that says we're going to focus on these three things. And when I say that, I also am saying, and this is very important, these are the things we're not going to do anymore because we live in a world of constraints. So every time you choose one thing, you're saying no to something else. It's not the world where it's like, I'm going to choose this and I'm just going to hire someone to do this. It's I'm going to choose this, which means I'm choosing not to do something else. So to me, that's really exciting because that means that we're in the world of optimizing, which if you're listening to this, you're in the world of revenue insights. We love optimizing. So that's super exciting to me. And then on the completely opposite end of the funnel, top of the funnel, I'm working with marketing and we've created some really cool things around where every dollar is going. And we are building out some really cool spreadsheets and some data that says we're offering a demo request and it's going through Facebook or it's going through LinkedIn and we're spending this much dollars and we're going to track that all the way through. We've had that in the past. So don't get me wrong, that is kind of core, but we're cranking it up a whole nother notch to say we want to know what the dollars spent? What are we getting out of that per channel? Can we cut any channels? Because again, we live in a world of constraints. You can't just say, oh, just pump the marketing budget full, spend as much as you can, because we're getting some ROI at the back end. No, now we're, this is your marketing budget. What's the max ROI you can get for it? And so that's super fun to me because that's just an optimizing thing, A-B testing everything. So we're getting really detailed in this is the campaign. This is the UTM source the medium, whatever it is. And we're tracking that all the way to close one. And we're going to start making decisions based on that saying we're not going to do certain channels. In the past, maybe we could because we just pump more money into that. But they're not producing like we need to. So now we're going to put that money somewhere else. So those are some really exciting things that I'm working on right now that's getting me really stoked.
1: I love that. So you've kind of reached the point of, you know, now we've got visibility pretty much from end to end, and you're now in that kind of beautiful period of like, now we can start crunching those numbers and start to really get your hands dirty per se in terms of what is and isn't working to then start making those decisions off the back of it of, particularly when you're running a leaner operation as well, it's the costs that just are not getting the results you need, but also then investing more or certainly reallocating more. Of your budget into those areas that you're seeing the dollar
0: revenue out the other end and don't get me wrong we're not perfect we have a lot of visibility but we're not in a place like some of these much larger companies a lot of the cs thing that i talked about that's coming out of a gap that i noticed that i need to invest more of my time and resources in this because i think i've been over indexing on this side of the house and i need to go to this side of the house so a lot of these things are coming out of mistakes and issues that i've seen and That I need to correct. And so we're going to put more resources into that, build that up. And then I'm sure in a few months, I'm going to be like, oh man, I'm over indexing over here. I got to move. This is RevOps. We are end to end and you can't be everywhere at once. And your focus has to be in certain places. So we're not perfect, but we're learning and you see where the gaps are and you go attack that.
1: Absolutely right. And it's seeing where the opportunities are. And something that is certainly front of mind to me, and I think we will get on to the conversation of ai in a bit but just to focus in on sales for a moment so you, your sales team how do you identify like what is working from your top performers and then understand what they are doing to be able to
0: in an ideal world replicate
1: that for everyone
0: and you know it's the worst is a lot of times your top performer is that lone wolf personality where they've been left alone a lot because they're great so they don't maybe have the best data, they don't have the best hygiene and so you're trying to figure out why this person is so good at what they do, you can't really put your finger on it. So what I found is a lot of times you kind of have to ignore that person because they're not going to give you much insights plus you probably don't want to recreate them. So I look at my A players that I can recreate. I want to see the ones that are hitting their quota consistently, people who are following the system that we've prescribed or at least following it to a point where I can track what they're doing. And then I take a look at a lot of things. Typically, I found that the ones that are doing well is replicating. How do they find so many opportunities? Because that's going to be your top, top thing. You can close half of your opportunities, but if you're only getting a couple a month, then you're still going to fail. You can close them very quickly at a very high average sales price. But if you're only closing one or two, you're going to fail. So really, how are they generating opportunities and I just gave a presentation at my sko about this around creating that snowball and the thing that i'm finding is the reps that do really well they're typically really good at creating that snowball of past close lost people demos that they've done in the past that haven't gone well people they've met at events different places that they keep in in touch with and they're really good at that prospecting so they're getting sdr sets if you have an sdr team they're prospecting net new which is the grind that everybody needs to do. But they're also keeping that backlog of people warm. And I tell reps that there's this holy grail after a while. It takes work, but there's a holy grail where every month you just have people showing up going, hey, it's time. It's right. I'm ready. Thanks for talking to me for the last. I'm ready to go. And then they just get these sales. So it's like, why are these reps always starting out? Watch your top reps and see how they pace. They'll always start out stronger than the rest because it's rare to find a good rep that's like closes all their stuff at the end of the month or in the quarter, you'll see that they pace pretty well. And I look at those and I look at the opportunities that they've closed early in the month. And it's clear they have a lot of activity on them. Typically, that's what I see. It's not necessarily the one call closes, it does happen. But it's the ones that have nurtured that pipeline that they have. And that's the consistency that I can go back and I can teach the rest of the reps or I can help sales enablement teach them if you have a team like that of here's how to be consistent, here's how to build a pipeline, because that is going to make or break your sales career. And that's the top reps I'm always seeing that they have enough feedstock, they have enough people to talk to. And even the really good ones, everybody has heard about the rep that their manager listens to their call, they're like, they're so good on the phones. They're so good, but I don't know what's going on. 99 out of 100, it's opportunities created. They need to figure out how to prospect, figure out how to get that snowball rolling down the mountain, getting that backlog of people. And that is something that you can recreate in other reps because they can see that pattern and they can recreate it. The lone wolf, which a lot of times is your top rep, like, I don't know, you just can't recreate that. They're doing something else. Let them be and work on what you can help the masses do.
1: I really like that. That kind of twofold, particularly the lone wolf of the person that you can't track whatsoever respect that your approach is, you know what, just keep doing your thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: We are an expense in operations. Let the sales reps that are crushing it, crush it because they're the ones helping us. So it's great.
1: Yeah. They're the
0: ones where it's like, you know what, I'm just going to let you off not doing the admin just on this occasion. As long as their churn numbers are still good, their customers are happy. I mean, we've also had those reps where they're doing well, but they have the highest churn, that's the problem. If they're a culture cancer, get rid of them. Like all of those things, I am on board, get rid of them. But a lot of times they're good reps, they're closing a lot and their customers are happy and they bad hygiene or whatever. Sometimes I just kind of say, keep it up, do your work. Yeah,
1: (laughs) but the point on those top performers self-sourcing pipeline, I can't share the specific number at the minute, but in our kind of meta-analysis that we do every year, I think we're analyzing some $81 billion worth of pipeline this year. And one of the things that stood out to us exactly as you said, which is it's something like top forms are like over 200% more likely to be self-sourcing their own pipeline. So much to your point where it's having that constant stream coming in. I mean, I love it as a marketer because you're not relying on marketing so that when things start to dry up, it's like, uh, well marketing where are my leads and it starts to create can create a bit of a toxic environment at that stage instead it's having that self-sufficiency and yeah the self-sufficiency of stuff that you are essentially keeping slowly warm and up to the point where then it surprises you right where it comes out of nowhere someone that you spoke to six months ago nine months ago 12 months ago that really sustains you yeah exactly so this might be a bit specific question but I'll keep it more general. How are you using AI internally? Because what I was interested to maybe dig into is perhaps some of the ways that AI could be used for prospecting, but we can either go kind of specific or kind of more broadly, like the role that it plays.
0: Yeah, let's get into AI because it's the hot topic right now. I would consider myself a power user of ChatGPT, GPT-4. I built APIs for it. I have really dug in. AI, I think, is broadly misunderstood. And this is my hot take. And I think people are going to disagree with me on certain things, but let's get into it. I think AI is broadly misunderstood as sometimes people use it in replacement of the word magic. And they think that it's magical. And there's this magical land of AI that's just going to do things for you with very low cost and very low effort. And right now, There are certain things that that's absolutely true. So let's talk about those. Image creation right now, it's changed the game. If you've done a presentation in the last four months and you're not using GPT to create images with Dolly, you're missing out because it's so easy to do and you can tweak it. It's not always going to be perfect at first. You can keep tweaking it. Image creation, absolutely easy, free, cheap. Creating content is getting easier and easier. Although the voice, to get the right voice, it takes a lot of prompt working and reworking and sometimes I feel like half the time I'm trying to create some content and I could have just written it in the time that I'm tweaking the arguing with ChatGPT GPT about it but however it does an amazing job at getting the content you need the thing that it does very best is that it can find and regurgitate information because it's a language model so it can get a bunch of information and it can find what you're looking for And give it back to you in the way that you want it to. So it can give it back to you in summaries, lists, whatever. So it can explain certain things to you. So support is absolutely going to be revolutionized, is revolutionized, because you can have it look at your entire backend and look at all the FAQ docs and everything like that. And it can give you quick answers. And I find that incredibly helpful. I've actually built something. This was just a little fun project for me just to play with it. GPT just released a new API, it's an assistant. It's kind of like the custom GPTs, but you can upload documents. So I took our benefits guide and our HR FAQs, uploaded that into it and said, learn this. And now I connected it to Slack via Zapier. And so you can actually do like, I have this bot, you can do slash ask HR and ask it like, hey, do we get Martin Luther King Day off? And it'll look in our guide and say, yes, you get a Martin Luther King Day off. So it's gonna save a ton of time From the HR questions, how do I change my HSA? You know, all that stuff. So absolutely, AI is going to revolutionize it. You should be using it like that already because it's there. I am not that smart, and yet I was able to do it. I can read code. I can't write code, but Zapier, all these other things that help you use that. Now, let's talk about my other side of it. I do not think that we're at a place to blindly trust AI analytics. And that's where people are going to get mad because it can do amazing things with AI analytics. You can upload data and it can tell you things. But the amount of times that I've had to look at it and go, that's wrong, because I've been playing with it and just say, no, 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 that's wrong. The average sales price is not that or the close rate wasn't that. And it has to go back and you're almost arguing with it because you know that something's off. If you took the human out of that equation and just say, AI is going to do all the analytics for us. So data analytics is no longer needed. We can take the human out of it. You will come up with conclusions that could throw off your entire model. Like, think about if you were to blindly trust it to kick out your conversion rate for the last year and you weren't going to spot check it. You just said, I'm going to upload all my, hey, go into my Salesforce, check all my opportunities, tell me my conversion rate. And it's 22%. And in reality, it's actually 16%, but it's pulling in some opportunities that shouldn't have been pulled in because we all have filters that we always use. Okay, so now work that backwards when we're modeling out how many AEs we need to hire and how many SCRs and how many leads and marketing spend, if you have the wrong number in one of those funnel metrics, your entire model gets screwed up. So my thing with AI is that you use it as a tool to save a lot of time. And if you take the time it's going to save you, multiply by the entire company, all that, it's our days of time. But to say that it can take over right now and, and it can be your data analyst, or it can be even worse when people say it can be like your sales rep and you can just put an AI sales rep on there that doesn't understand emotion, doesn't understand negotiation, all of that. It can act kind of like it, but it's not there yet. I think it will be someday, but I hear so many times where it's like, well, I can fire my inter-team here because of AI. The only one that's even near that right now is support, in my opinion. Because it's taking documents that you already had and it's regurgitating information. Anytime you need something to spot check it, I don't trust it yet. I use it. I'm a power user. I've built things with it. But it's just not at a point where I hear a lot of companies saying it is that right now. And I get really scared because I just don't think. And then it's not free. There are free versions of it. But if you want to have it upload to your database and answer questions specifically on that, You have to have a database that can upload to it. You have to have certain connections to maybe open AI and different things. It's going to take a lot of groundwork to get up and running. So that's the other problem is people are saying, oh, we don't have a budget this year, but we're just going to replace with AI. Those two things don't work together. You need budget to get that in place. So that's the other thing that's really coming out is like, oh, we're just going to replace all this budget with AI. But unfortunately, right now that's not truth. So there's my soapbox. I know I went off on that one, but. Maybe you struck a chord there.
1: I love that. And actually, your point on the shortcomings of analytics is very much the same with in a more specifically kind of like B2C world, users using it as a search engine, so using it as a replacement for Google and taking what is being spat out the other end as gospel and not actually validating. That's true. And yeah,
0: and it is so confidently the hallucinations, that's what they call them. So confident when they say something that's off, and then you can say, I'm sorry, I don't think that's right. And they're like, Oh, yeah, GPT will always be like, You're right, sorry about that. You're like, Whoa, what if I just took that at face value? Like, there could be some damage there.
1: And obviously, when you talk about what it spits out at the end of it, you then need to go and validate that information. And then the time that it takes to validate it is like, I probably could have just done this myself, right? And so, it's, I think, a really good point, an inherent challenge. I think it's very easy. I think people or folks are very easy to be like, oh, we can just replace this with AI. It's going to be perfect. Without really knowing the intricacies of what that means and the potential outcomes of it, I think there's a lot of excitement around it. And actually, even your example of what was coming up to me as you were talking about being able to search through all your HR documents is like, oh, well, you could do the same thing with like a knowledge base, for example.
0: So that's a big one that I want to do. There are companies out there right now that are doing that. It's awesome because it's a great use of AI to get a really robust system where you're connecting it. It's going to cost you because there are companies that have already built the back end for it, or you can do it yourself, which is also going to cost you because you're going to build the back end. but it's an awesome use of AI. So a sales rep can go in and think about having all the competitor docs and the battle cards at their fingertips to ask a question instead of being like, and you know how it is. It's I'm a sales rep and Lee, you're sitting next to me. It's like, hey, do you have that battle card for this company? Oh yeah. And it's like 16 versions ago because they've been here forever and you get this old data. Having AI search for that, it's awesome. And that's going to be the new world really soon. That'll turn free or cheap very soon because they're already making strides there.
1: Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. every week. We speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at Ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's Ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And it also excites me as well. The amount of times I get asked for, Lee, have you got this piece of collateral? And it's like, oh man, I created a notion board for this and everything. but Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Never gets used. It's fine. I'm curious because you talked through a few really good use cases there, but is there perhaps one use case for AI that you feel is very underrated?
0: The underrated part of it is that it can save you 10 minutes multiple times a day times 300 people at your company who should be using it, times the days of the year, and we're talking days of productivity back. And so I think the small incremental ones. So for example, I would consider myself a power user of Excel. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably are too. You have spreadsheets that reference spreadsheets. I love spreadsheets, right? But I use this a lot. This example, I needed to reference a cell and say, if it contains the word outbound, I want it to kick back outbound. If it's inbound, then this, if it's S and B. So there's all this contains, if then, all of that. And I thought, I could just explain that to GPT and see what it kicks back. I explained it. I turned on my mic on my computer and I just spoke. And I said, I need cell C7 to if it contains this. It kicks back a formula. I pasted it in and it worked great. Now, I could do that formula. I know how. But it's going to take me a second to be like, okay, is it find search? I'd have to look it up and then I'd do that. So that saved me maybe 10 minutes. And I do that all the time. And I have my team do that all the time. So I think it's the underrated part. Everything else gets blown out. But this one is underrated. How much incremental time that it can save entire companies if people were to all just use it? Because right now this is just I have a friend. I work with this company called Wave 40 and Aaron, he's brilliant. And his quote was like, teaching people to use ChatGPT is like back in the day when you're expected to learn how to Google things. It's just an expectation. Like you should just know how to use it now. But it's not a big competitive advantage to be like, oh, yeah, I use ChatGPT because everybody should be using it. But the underrated part that people should talk about more is how much incremental time it's going to save us for things like that.
1: Yeah. And I think it will be as specific use cases become more popular that people learn of the different uses. Because sometimes it's just simple things of I'll use it to help me write an email. I use it to help me rewrite stuff. Um I love that in your world, it's I can have it help me write formulas. And I'm now sat here thinking, why have I not been doing that before? That makes a ton of sense.
0: Yeah, and stuff like that. Another little pro tip is you being in marketing, you understand that like, emails and prospecting, you should have like a third to sixth grade reading level on things. It's just proven time and time again to be better. You can actually paste in your email and say what's the reading level of this. And then you can say rewrite it at a third grade reading level. And it'll do that and then you'll have to edit it. But it's another quick, you know, it takes a few minutes instead of going somewhere else and trying to do that. And it improves it a lot. So incremental changes, really helpful. Is that going to change your entire existence right now as a marketer using that? Probably not, but it's going to get you back a week's worth of hours into your quarter.
1: Yeah, and it has the knock-on effect as well of it's the energy that it takes to sometimes work out those small problems, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's such a great point. That compounds over time, and you probably don't even notice it. Man, I need to use ChatGPT more often. I've actually got penultimate question before I ask the last one. Um, you kind of touched on it actually there, but for folks that are listening, they're like, man, this guy's way ahead of me in terms of like how he's using AI. And I know that might not be the case and you're probably like, nah, I'm like a million miles away. But for those folks that aren't, haven't really adopted it yet, maybe they've made a New Year's resolution of I want to use more of it, perhaps they're in a leadership position like you where they've got a team that isn't really using it. How would you recommend that they onboard their team or educate them on the value of AI and actually start to roll it out internally?
0: Okay, how I would tell people to start, and I've talked to people about this, is that you kind of have to understand the equation before understanding all the increases. So what does AI do? Let's talk about ChatGPT because that's what you're going to use. It's free. You can pay for the premium GPT-4, but you don't need it. The equation is, if there was a large amount of data, a large amount of words around the thing that you're wondering about, let's talk about the Excel one. There are so many resources out there. So clearly, ChatGPT knows those resources and can regurgitate that back to you. So think about in your world, what's out there that has a lot of resources on the internet already? So you're talking about things like sales resources, playbooks, like if you're looking for sales playbooks or different types of scripts that you wanna write, marketing emails, Excel, anything that's been talked about, that's the equation, it can kick back that. So then when you're thinking about how I can use it, I'm always going to say lead by example. If you're a leader, start using it yourself. Use it for your email creation, your content creation, image creation, Excel. Use it for anything that you're like, I need to do a couple bits of research on this. And you would typically Google it and find some forum. And unfortunately, we're all there like seven years old. And you're like, oh, wait, this is super old. Anything like that, use ChatGPT and then show your team, your next stand up, just constantly show your team all the cool things that you're doing and not require it, but say, look, we're all in this together and our careers will depend on staying on top of this. And as annoying as I find it about everybody talking about AI is like all of this stuff that it can do right now. And I'm saying, no, it can't do all of that yet, but it can do a lot of cool stuff. We're in RevOps and see us any operation function, you better be on top of it. So I frame it to my team as this is part of your career development. You do not want to be left behind. Here are some cool ways that I'm using it. And so you start thinking in terms of, this is something I need to do research on that's on the internet. Oh, it'll be on ChatGPT. It's going to help me. So then you start working on that. And it grows. Once you start with one thing, you're like, "Hmm, there's another thing I can do with it. I could probably use this to do. I've had a pretty decent thing on using it for sales role plays. You say, hey, you are a dental professional and you're looking to buy new technology. We'll role play. So then all of a sudden you start thinking of ways that it can do better, but show your team, lead by example, tell them that this is part of their career. And that's how I've been going about it. And it seemed to have worked pretty well. That's great. And
1: another great use case. You should probably share more of these on LinkedIn. I suspect it will do pretty well. Sean, last question. What is one book that you'd recommend to other revenue leaders and why?
0: So this one is my book that I go to. It's changed my life and it's for leaders in general. It's Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willink, super popular book. I say it changed my life quite literally. I was going through some hard times quite a few years ago and I was feeling really sorry for myself. The world was against me. It wasn't my fault. Everything was working against me. And then I read that book and it was a big slap in the face. Like you could have made different decisions in your life that would lead you to different outcomes. Even though you think that other people are causing this to you, you could have cut them out of your life. You could have done, and it is a hard pill to swallow. And it's not an easy pill to swallow. And it takes a long time to implement that mindset. But as a leader, all the problems that have happened on my team are my fault, because clearly I did something wrong. But you know what, I also tell my team, when they join my team, I have a presentation about this. They're your fault too. Like, don't blame other people for things that go wrong in your life because you could have made different decisions. And Extreme Ownership is the book that talks about that and really gives you that insight. And it changed my life because you become empowered by not blaming other people. And it made me a way better leader. It made me a better person in my personal life. Overall made me such a better person because I stopped saying the world was against me. Oh, poor me. I started saying, yeah, that happened to me, but I could have done all these things and it would have changed the trajectory. So what can I do right now? What's in my control? And Jocko Willing just poses it so well and doesn't hold back. And so that is the book I tell everybody. If you haven't read it, read it. If you haven't read it for a while, read it, listen to it. It's worth it.
1: Excellent recommendation. Sean, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure now what I'm going to ask you is where can everyone find you? And I feel like what I might have set up is everyone asking you how they can use AI. But for uh, <laughs> for those folks that do have those questions or maybe they just want to connect with you, where can they find you?
0: Hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm one of those people, I, I cut out a lot of social media long ago. So I'm on LinkedIn. I need to post more, but maybe I'll do that. I'll take some of these things that I've learned and post it. I just feel like everybody seems to be posting that nowadays. But yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Send me a message. Happy to talk. Let's nerd out. Let's do it. Love it.
1: Epic. I'll make sure I'll put links to that as well as Extreme Ownership down in the show notes below. Sean, thank you so much again. It was a pleasure. And to everyone that listened this week, thank you. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.